I joined in December of 2019. It's such an interesting time because digital sales coming through our digital channels here at Shake Shack accounted for about 20% of our business. And I thought, wow, this is such an exciting opportunity to grow that 20% to maybe 25 or 30. It was fascinating to see four months later in the throes of COVID to just see that percentage fall on its head. And we were very quickly 80% digital, which was kind of a crazy ride to be on. When Steph So joined the team at Shake Shack in 2019, she was excited for the opportunity to grow the digital side of the famous burger company. She had set high ambitions, hoping to grow their digital channels between 25% and maybe 50%. So when COVID hit and all of a sudden their digital channel grew by 400%, you'd think that Steph would feel like she bit off more of that burger than she could chew. Not so fast, because as Steph says, digital can scale. And much like you can uplevel your combo from a medium to a large, Shake Shack was able to handle the higher traffic while at the same time coming up with new, innovative ways to make the customer experience on digital even better. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Steph explained how she and the team handled an influx of 1.8 million new customers within a year and how they created the most seamless digital experience possible. Steph says that the secret Shack sauce on top of the digital experience all comes down to choice. The success of the company depends on giving the customers everything they need to feel like they are getting the full Shake Shack experience, however they want it, whether that's in store or online, and nailing that omni-channel strategy is Steph's holy grail. Hear how she's delivering that full experience right here. Enjoy. Before we dive into the episode, I want to let you in on a little secret. Did you know that Mission has the number one e-commerce newsletter? It's amazing. It has really good news and insights and case studies that you will not find anywhere else. So go subscribe, mission.org slash upnext in commerce. All right, on to the show. Really quick, I want to say thank you, thank you to our awesome sponsor, Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And I'm going to allow them to give you the inside scoop into some of the findings from their most recent state of commerce report. Hi, this is John from Salesforce. Did you know that companies of all sizes and industries power their digital customer journeys with Commerce Cloud? Salesforce Commerce Cloud delivers B2B and B2C commerce, as well as order management around the globe. And with Commerce Cloud, you can engage with your customers anywhere and personalize interactions everywhere. Scale and innovate with ease and drive some serious growth for your business. And speaking of innovation, we recently surveyed nearly 1,400 commerce leaders and analyzed the consumer shopping and business buying behavior of more than 1 billion customers worldwide. And we uncovered emerging trends that will influence how companies can be successful and stay ahead in this ever-evolving landscape. To check out the trends we discovered, go to sfdc.co slash commerce insights. That's sfdc.co slash commerce insights, one word. Hey there, and welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. This is your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO at mission.org. Today, we have Steph So joining the show, the VP of Digital Experience at Shake Shack. Steph, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, when I saw you guys coming on the show, well, I first got hungry and then I started looking for locations of like, how close are they in Austin? Can I find a location to go try out before we have this? So yeah, we have that effect on people. We love that. I know it's good. So your career has spanned across so many industries, fashion, um, beauty, health, like it seems like you've done it all. And I was hoping we could start there and kind of hear about your journey in all these industries. 
Yeah, it's it's been a long and winding road. Um, I always like to tell the story that it actually all began with restaurants. So my very first job was waitressing at a small sushi place in uh, the Bay Area in California where I grew up. And really what brought me to New York was also food. I really wanted to explore all that the city had to offer. I'd lived on the West Coast my whole life. So my first summer after college, my freshman year of college, I decided to just come to New York, see what it would be like. And, you know, I've always believed that working in restaurants opens doors for you that you might never expect. Mm -hmm. So my very first summer in New York City, I worked for a fine dining chef for the summer um, as a waitress in her restaurant as a server, learned everything that she could teach me in three months about wine, fine dining and food and really fell in love with hospitality as an industry. But, you know, back to the long and winding road, I kind of touched a lot of different industries before making my way back here. And I often tell folks, you know, just kind of follow your interest and passion and you will never know where it will bring you. Um, and I'm excited that it brought me back here. That's awesome. I, a fellow waitress here, I was a bartender, waitress. And at one point when I was 14, I rolled silverware for eight hours a day. I'm sure you know about that. <laughs> yes. All that side work is is kind of what builds a lot of character. And similarly, when I went back to the Bay Area after being in New York, I felt like I had to have every job. So I tried bartending. I tried um, hostessing. I kind of had every seat in a restaurant, um, probably except for a chef, which, you know, is probably for the betterment of everybody else. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it was such a great experience. And kind of the hum of that, you know, that excitement has never really left me. Yeah. Do you still have the server dreams? You're like, of course. <laughs> okay, you exactly know what I'm talking about. When somebody has something wrong with their plate or something is wrong with their dish, yeah. and you have a panic attack yeah. because you really want to fix it. Or you're yes, like, oh, sure. forgot the ketchup for table 25. Oh, that was two days ago. Yeah. Those dreams are now augmented with the digital dream, which is like, oh my God, something on the website has crashed and I can't figure out what it is. So uh, there, there are different nightmares with each, yeah, with each field. They all come in different stages of your life. That's yeah. great. So the one thing I also read, which I loved, was I think someone was asking like, you know, how, do, how are you attracted to these industries? How do you go from here to here? And you're like, it's not about the industry. You should just be focusing on the customer. And I would love to kind of hear like, you know, how you think about that when you were moving around, you know, so many different areas. Yeah, I truly believe that digital and the customer have kind of equalized so many things about the way we all as consumers want to experience brands. So, you know, now we kind of all have a phone mm -hmm. um, and we all have this kind of digital life that we're leading in parallel to our physical lives. And maybe in the last year, we've kind of brought these even closer together, our digital lives and our physical lives. I think that digital does a lot to kind of bring brands to life in a way that even physical retail in many ways was difficult to bring things to life. Um, and I've always been really focused on that because I think the consumer experience is so interesting. And the consumer I was finding as I hopped between beauty and fertility and fashion, you know, all of these things, that consumer was the same. What they were looking for was the same. They wanted a brand that they could identify with that spoke to their core values that really made them feel safe, but also, you know, understood. All of that can be communicated in a digital way, I think, with great consistency. It is a little bit more challenging as you scale people operations and retail operations to bring that to life in a physical way. The interesting thing about Shake Shack is actually, I think we built this physical infrastructure, this physical brand that is a community gathering place that has hospitality at its core. So we almost had that going first. And then, you know, that's what's exciting to me is bringing that same consumer into that experience 
and then also bringing digital into that experience and translating that out. So, so yeah, I still do believe the consumers at the center, they're experiencing all these brands in a really digital way. And the brands that are successful are the ones that can kind of connect and translate their brand in that way. Yep. Yeah. I love that. A couple of years ago, I forget which book I was reading, but it was essentially saying like, if you're looking for creative ideas in your business today, go to a completely like random industry, like go to the airline industry, go to hospitality, go to restaurant business, and you will find something that can be relatable to your company today and like open up Pandora's box of like, oh, that's how they're doing it here. I can see maybe how like, you know, you came from working at like in these different e-commerce roles and you were at Ralph Lauren and you were at a fertility clinic and like doing things there and being like, of course, the restaurant business should also be implementing, you know, this kind of app or this kind of like way of communication that maybe they weren't thinking about before. Yeah, 100% true. Like I think from skincare and beauty to fertility was just such an obvious link because, you know, we were targeting this consumer that maybe she's in her mid 30s, you know, kind of thinking through various things in life and, and thinking about her goals and kind of focusing on herself. And I think that's kind of that was such an easy link. And then as I looked at fertility and fashion and food into hospitality, my view was kind of where are people really spending their money these days? And so much of the way the consumer is thinking right now is spending on experiences. It's so much less about stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think it's been very interesting to see that evolution of the consumer mindset. Initially, when I was at Ralph Lauren and Shopbop and a lot of these really um, fashion and apparel focused brands, there was almost a cycle at which you know consumers were looking to replace their clothing and try on a new look when it comes to the season. And I think that the consumer has really shifted. And of course, COVID has really pushed this even yeah. further. Like none of us actually care what we're wearing anymore. Actually, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. But I bet all of us would give anything in many cases last year, just to have a meal with a friend and gather somewhere just to hang out, have a burger and, and share a meal. And so it really attracted me to hospitality to kind of bring those experiences back to life. And I felt like so much of the way the consumer is starting to think about their day to day is really giving themselves those experiences is almost like, little treats and kind of little uplifting moments in their day. Yep. So it was really a draw to come to a brand like Shake Shack. Yep. Yeah, I love that. So tell me, how long have you been at Shake Shack now? Like when did you join? Yeah, I joined in December of 2019. Okay. Um, it's such an interesting time because I joined in, you know, digital sales are you know, coming through our digital channels here at Shake Shack accounted for about 20% mm-hmm. of our business. And I thought, wow, this is such an exciting opportunity to grow that 20% to maybe 25 or 30 and, you know, had started to set those goals. It was fascinating to see, you know, four months later in the throes of COVID to just kind of see that percentage fall on its head. And, you know, we were very quickly 80% digital, (laughs) which was kind of a crazy ride to the odd. Yeah, that's wild. So what did that look like? I mean, what did those couple months look like? Because I I think I read a couple articles where like it went up to 80 and then maybe it leveled back down to like 60, which is still crazy to think about, you know, where you were. Like what kind of things were you guys doing to even keep up with that digital demand? It was so interesting because the great thing about digital is that it can scale. So Mm -hmm. our app, our web platform, we're very lucky that from the IT side, we were able to handle this massive influx of traffic. Um, we did add additional security measures in place. We wanted to be very careful with, you know, the amount of data that was coming through that we had, per- we could protect consumer data. That's, that's always been a very important goal of ours. But interestingly, digital could scale. What was ch- more challenging to scale was the operations that come with that. So, you know, our restaurants were not used to dealing with every single order having to be packaged in delivery type packaging, mm-hmm. you know, a closed clamshell for a burger, a sealed bag. 
Um, so it was almost more challenging for our operators to kind of shift to a digital mindset. And that's been a really interesting journey to be on with them. You know, many of them have had to pivot and figure out how to provide our kind of famous Shake Shack hospitality from behind a mask. And when your interaction with a guest is so limited to just the here's your order and handing it out the window or handing it to a car window, you know, it's been really inspiring for me actually to kind of see how the operators have all taken this new business model and really made it their own. Mm -hmm. So that I think was actually the bigger adjustment for us uh, instead of, you know, the digital platforms. I think we made improvements and we made tweaks to our experience, but it was certainly harder from the ops perspective to make that all come fluidly together. Yeah. How did you retain those new customers? I think um, I read a number, it was like 1.8 million new customers. And you can tell me like, if I completely botched that number, it was above a million though. Oh, it's correct. Nailed it. Yes. Okay. So you got all these new customers coming in, trying something for the first, you know, first time potentially. How did you keep them coming back and keep them engaged so they stuck with the brand? Yeah, I think it was really initially last year about meeting the guest where they were. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, we can get that first visit out of a guest who's really excited to try a Shack Burger for the first time. Maybe our digital platforms make it a little bit easier for them to have a contact-free order with us. So, you know, we kind of feel that that first visit, we got you and we can get you with the food and, and that experience. I think after that, it's really the guest experience that will keep people coming back. Mm -hmm. And there are a few things that we've done in the last year that I think have really met the guests where they were. We've offered limited time offerings. So we've brought back, you know, last fall, we had a huge hit with our hot chicken sandwich, playing a little bit into those chicken wars. Recently, we've been doing avocado as the most requested ingredient that we've been asked for many, many years. So we've added an avocado bacon (laughs) burger and an avocado bacon chicken sandwich to the menu. So those kinds of things, I think, keep people coming back. I think we're a real believer in the thing that will make Shake Shack most successful is this feeling of it being a community gathering place. Mm-hmm. And I actually think about that a lot within digital, that even if you're placing your order and kind of having 80% of your experience in a digital channel, I still want that feeling of the brand as a gathering place, as an uplifting experience to come through that channel. Because ultimately, then you'll go to a shack and you'll pick up your order. We want that interaction to be just kind of the cherry on top of what's already been a positive experience. And that to us is how we're thinking about retention, that it has to be that seamless. And I hate to use this overly used word, but it has to be a seamless omni-channel experience from digital into the restaurant. And then, you know, post-purchase as well. Um, We love to get guest feedback and hear how things went and make it right if something went wrong. Yeah. So how are you thinking about crafting those experiences now where I feel like there's like half the people are like ready to go, ready to get out there, get back into the world. The other half, maybe still a bit, you know, timid, like what kind of things are you guys crafting to be able to start, you know, bringing people together and creating memories and doing everything you just talked about? I think um, over the course of the last year, Shack Track was a huge initiative for us, which was about infusing our digital experience with lots of choices. So we wanted the guests to get their Shake Shack the way they wanted, whether it was via pickup, via curbside. Um, In some cases, we've launched drive up and walk up windows. So you don't even have to enter the shack, but we'll have your order ready and you can kind of get your order from the exterior of our shack. And then we launched delivery within our app as well. So that that was really to say, hey, you know, however you want to experience Shake Shack, we want to make sure you can do it all from this digital platform. So Shack Track as an initiative was really about giving maximum flexibility to our guest, exactly as you've said, to 
get as out there as they want to or stay as um, stay as safe and kind of on their own as they'd like to. And what we've noticed is actually those channels are really providing more predictability for the guest around their experience. So they can basically say, you know, I just want to be able to know that I can pick up the order around this time. And many of them come in and, you know, are invited by this atmosphere and are starting to open up again Mm -hmm. and feeling like, hey, maybe I'll just sit here and enjoy the experience of sitting in a restaurant. We're seeing that more and more. And I think that's going to be the trend over the next year as people start to come on back. Yeah. I wonder, it kind of feels like a lot of, I mean, not just restaurants, but stores in general are kind of like flipping inside out where it's like, you don't really need as much as what's inside anymore. Like, why not have most things outside and pick it up and, you know, order it from the outside and then sit at a table or, you know, just enjoy the outdoors, which when I came to Austin, actually, that was something that felt really big here where I hadn't really seen much of that, you know, on the East Coast or even in the Bay Area it wasn't as big of a thing as like here, it's like everything's outdoors. All the restaurants are outdoors. And it seems like that model might be kind of accelerating, not just even with restaurants, but I mean, thinking about, you know, some of the big like home improvement stores, like why do I need to go in there if I can just order and then just pick up on the curb? Why do I need to go through every aisle to find, you know, the specific nail? Obviously I'm not a DIYer. Whatever I'm looking for, I don't want to browse around for it. Like go, go help me find it and then bring it to me. I think that's right. And I think um, our restaurants have always been very design led. We always like that feeling of an outside. And, you know, our first restaurant in Madison Square Park is literally in a park. So this year has been really interesting as our real estate and design teams have started looking at new um, locations for Shake Shacks because we are looking for very different things now. We're looking for that outdoor patio. Mm -hmm. We're thinking about things like heating outdoor patios where it makes sense to do so. We're also thinking about things like accessibility for cars. So you know, drive through is something we've talked about is coming for us. And, you know, that is a totally new format for us. We've never really looked at sites that were drive through specific, but now we are and trying to make that uniquely us. You know, I think a lot of drive throughs are almost like very transactional and yeah. sort of like your, your very yeah. <laughs> last ditch effort, got to get something to eat and I'm going to stay in my car. Yeah. Um, we would really like to, you know, again, bring our unique experience to that. But certainly I think it's changed how we look at real estate and how we look at how we want to serve the guest and where the experience happens. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's exciting, especially, you know, now I live in New York City and kind of see how the city has totally pivoted to keeping some of this outdoor dining. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it feels like a little bit like Spain when you're yeah. on certain streets I and know. you see all these elevated platforms and restaurants outside. So yep. I think there are elements of this last year that'll be great if they stay. Yeah, I love that. When I was in Palo Alto, they closed down University Avenue, which was like a big thing that cars would always drive through. And they put all these restaurants out on University Avenue. And everyone was like, they should just keep it like this. Like, why do, why do cars actually need to drive right down the center of here? They can go around. And yeah, I think a lot of businesses are starting to rethink that model of like, why do we need to confine people and use the rest for parked cars that aren't doing anything? which is an interesting world to be in now. Yeah, 100%. And I worked at about three of those restaurants along University Avenue. Oh, did you? So absolutely love, absolutely love that example because, you know, it used to be so different. And I think we all used to be, um, of course, post-pandemic world will be very different. But like, I think we all used to be focused on what's going on inside. Yeah. Now I think everyone's like, just let me be outside. Yep. So I think that hopefully will not shift back too quickly. I think people will, will still have that attitude for the near term. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, 
Work doesn't stay at the office, and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't talk about publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. It does seem like there's like, especially in fast food, like it seems like there has to be kind of two drive-throughs. Like you've got the one for people who are like, I want the experience. I want the full shindig. You know, I want to be able to talk to, you know, the people who are providing the food. And then there's other people who are like, just need to get in and out. This is my, you know, I know the food's great. We'll talk another time. It seems like there could be a cool split test to have, you know, like a guide shop style store of like which lane is optimized or is utilized more. Yeah, this is something we've looked at. So oh, we really? just launched. Um, yeah, exactly. We've looked at drive up windows. So uh-huh. drive up windows are basically you've pre-ordered, your order is waiting, but you still don't want to get out of your car. Yep. Different from curbside in that you actually drive up to a window, but there's no ordering at that point of at that point. There's actually just a handoff to you. Yeah. So we have two of these now operating in the Midwest, and it's a hugely popular option for those two places. They love it. So one's in Fishers, Indiana we're actually seeing a huge percentage of our digital orders choosing that experience of like not having to get out of the car, mm-hmm. having pre-ordered. We have this hypothesis around drive-through as like a very different use case. It's a spontaneous yeah. moment. It's a, you know, you're driving down the highway. I know this well, I have three children and there's this moment where everybody is cranky and hungry. Yeah. And, you know, drive-through is almost a not premeditated moment. It's yeah. a, I need to get a meal right now. And so you kind of do need to order on premise. And again, from my own personal experience as a parent, there are those moments where you just are not ready to take three kids out of car seats. You just want to kind of stay, stay on track to wherever you're going. So we really view it as two distinct use cases, to your point. And we're certainly not opposed to this idea that maybe those experiences could live in parallel. Mm -hmm. Or as we're learning, we think there are some markets that will be primed for the drive through option and some that'll be primed for a drive up option where it's just like, you know, I've already pre-ordered. So we're excited. We think that's going to be a big part of how our business begins to shift as we continue to expand. Yeah. But I think that also just shows the nature of how quick you all were able to shift to new consumer expectations and kind of keeping, you know, a pulse on like, what do people want? Okay, let's quickly, let's try it out. And then, you know, depending on the market, like you said, some people might want different things. I mean, I, I have three kids and my three-year-old, when his blood sugar drops, I'm like, oh, whatever there is, gas station food, I don't care. Eat this kid. Like, it doesn't matter. So <laughs> it's so true. And I think, you know, it's interesting as we go through this because living in New York City, a lot of us on our team, we're trying to figure that out in terms of, hey, we live in New York City. How should we launch a drive through There are no drive throughs really in New York City. So we were all kind of having these really funny meetings where we were really trying to dig into it. And there are certainly folks on our development team who have not done a drive through in many, many years. So that was a fun kind of personal experience where I could say, listen, this is a huge part of my life. I hit a lot of drive throughs Just as a parent, it's a key part of of our restaurant mix and choice. Yeah. It's been very fun to kind of bring that experience to a lot of our projects because... 
there are definite use cases that speak to a certain consumer segment I happen to fit. Yeah, so. you represent me well too then. You can speak <laughs> for me wherever you go. It sounds like we're very similar. So how do you go about keeping your customers engaged even when they're not, you know, like Shake Shack's not on their mind, maybe they're not even hungry. Like, are there ways that you kind of try and pull them into this community? And maybe so when they are driving by, you're like, hi, hello, we're over here in case you miss us. Like, how do you think about that engagement? Yeah, that was a really interesting piece of taking this role for me. When I joined Shake Shack, I think I asked our CMO at the time, you know, what do we spend on digital marketing? And the number he gave me, I kind of like laughed out loud. I was like, wow, I really think there's massive upside on that number. That's a number that I spend monthly for marketing a fertility clinic in New York City. And, you know, he and I had a really good laugh about it. We said, this is, there's such great growth out there. Mm -hmm. I think digital marketing, and I know a lot has been said about ads on Facebook and ads within our social media platforms, like whether or not they're relevant and whether or not they're tracking, et cetera. But you know, we have seen tremendous growth of our um, digital guests coming through those channels. And I think it is about the right creative, the right message and the right audience. So we've been very focused on increasing our relevance to that audience, keeping Shake Shack top of mind. It's been a great channel for us to share new features we have like curbside or drive up Mm -hmm. window or delivery now available in the Shack app. Like those are things we can put out on paid ads that I think, you know, it's harder to reach people and it has been harder to reach people over the last year. So our digital guest acquisition has been really kind of an exciting channel to just like double, triple down on. And I think it keeps us top of mind. And honestly, what's been most successful for us is when we are going to open a new restaurant, we try to go out there with digital ads um, before the opening so that folks get excited, so that folks know they can download the app and be ready for opening day when we're usually crushed with people. And recently, we've opened a few new restaurants where it's been exciting to see how many people have downloaded the app before us even opening. And, you know, instead of kind of standing in a long snaking line on the first day, they're actually placing a digital order on their first day and having a kind of more expedient experience on that. So that's been really fun. And I think you know, it's about stay, to your point, staying top of mind, preparing for your visit and getting excited for your visit. So it's a little bit more than just like the need to eat something and driving by and it's less of a like functional visit. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Are you giving like coupons or other things to incentivize people to download the app and, you know, get them in there? It's interesting. We've tested many things and we have not had to incentivize with discounts. And that is actually a really, you know, core tenant of ours. I think as we go through this, a lot of the premium brands that I've worked with have gone by the wayside by over discounting. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it's no secret that in retail that that has been a really big challenge. Certainly was our challenge at Ralph Lauren and that the customer was only buying apparel on a kind of semi-regular basis. And so almost waiting for the sale. So I think, you know, hospitality is going to continue to take some cues from what's happened in retail and be hyper-focused on not being overly discount-driven. So we've been really careful about how we divvy that out. We also look at our QSR competitors and think about value menus and dollar menus and what that means. You know, Shake Shack's ingredients, we're very well known for using premium ingredients. We think there's value in providing these premium ingredients at accessible price points. You know, our view is to kind of keep that as as pure as we can. Not to say, you know, I think what we have found is the lifetime value of digital guests is so high that somewhere in that journey, we do need to kind of keep incentivizing for frequency. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we do a welcome offer that's that's somewhere in that first stream. 
but it's not how we acquire the first guest, the first touch point. How, how are you viewing like food marketplaces like Uber Eats and Grubhub? Like, do you guys play with them? How do you think about that relationship while also still representing your brand in a very different way compared to a lot of other fast food type of places? Yeah. You know, I always talk about the marketplaces. We have great relationships with them. We are available on all of them. Mm -hmm. So we work with Uber Eats, DoorDash and Grubhub. You know, I view them as like a microphone for the brand. If you're hungry and you're going to order delivery, chances are you'll be going to one of those apps. Now, if you're looking for Shake Shack, I would always hope that you come to ours. So we kind of have to be in the mix with our third party partners and We do a lot of fun activations with them because honestly, it's great to split the check on talent if we do something with a partner. So for example, we did a really fun partnership with DoorDash and Boys to Men over Valentine's Day. And we just thought that was so nostalgic and very brand right for us, brand right for DoorDash. Like what's more fun than a Valentine's Day Berries to Men shake delivered by DoorDash. So it was a great experience in terms of like, getting to partner with talent, getting to split that check with DoorDash. And we reached a ton of people through the DoorDash platform and we were happy to do so. Um, So I think those are kind of examples of how we like to use our third-party partnerships to do uniquely Shake Shack things, but with a really big platform. And then, you know, on our own delivery, we, we really are focused on making sure that that experience is great. And if you want Shake Shack, we want to make sure that guests can kind of choose the mode, Mm -hmm. whatever is most convenient for them. So they kind of play a complimentary role. Got it. Yeah. I love the poised men thing. I wish I had seen that because that's an all time favorite right there. Like no one can say they don't like poised men. We completely agree. And it was such a fun partnership to work with them on Valentine's Day. We were not totally surprised, but it would not, it was just kind of amazing to see the fan base turn out for Valentine's Day. So um, that was a really fun one. And, and it kind of inspired us to think about these like cultural moments where talent, culture, brands, Shake Shack kind of all can come together. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's really how we've been thinking about a lot of the things we do is like, how can we bring that experience to the guests? That's been a huge part of this past year is we got to come to you because it's a challenging year. You may not be going many places. So um, that was a really fun one. That's amazing. So what does it look like forming that partnership? Like you said, working with talent, working with, you know, uh, like a food marketplace, like bringing it all together. What did that process look like behind the scenes? Yeah, we work super closely with them. You know, we have a dedicated team that works with our third parties. And I think the biggest thing about that is we want to be always focused on the thing that another restaurant couldn't do. You know, I think there are a lot of cool celebrities and talent out there who work with a lot of different brands. And I think we just are always trying to strike that balance of, you know, Shake Shack is known for kind of a modern take on classic food. So Boyz II Men really fits that. It's kind of the throwback to something nostalgic. So we love to have that line straddled between something that's nostalgic and something that's kind of cool or culturally in the know. Shake Shack is kind of like this culty brand in many ways. And so anything we can do to wink and nod at that like little cultural zeitgeist, I think is is what we brief our agencies, what we brief our partners as like, these would be great partnerships. Yeah. You know, the other example I love to give is we most recently for 420 partnered with Action Bronson and Postmates. Action is so amazing as like an influencer. He's hilarious. Yeah. We think he's just like perfect for 420 as the day. He's, 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 he celebrates and observes. Um, and it was funny because he was releasing his memoir on 420. Oh, and we thought, great. This is so perfect. 
So we partnered with Action and we basically said, what would be the most ideal menu item for you Mm -hmm. on this day? And he put together this double bacon Action Bronson Shack Burger, which we thought was amazing and looked incredible. And it's an item that we actually get asked for a lot. So we kind of put it on the menu uh, for 420 for this partnership with Action. He made a video, which was kind of him sharing how a double smoke shack makes him feel, which was hilarious. And um, we know it when we've hit it. And I thing I love about our brand is that we can kind of flex those, a very wide range of interests um, across culture. And so, you know, from one month boys to men to the next month doing Action Bronson was just kind of like, a really fun testament to like how far we can stretch our brand and and our values. So that was great. That's so fun. So how do you think about like, I mean, you joined during an interesting time. It's, you know, all of a sudden it starts accelerating really quickly. You're trying to figure out like, whoa, whoa, what's happening in this whole new world? And you were betting on, you know, digital being a certain percent, it skyrockets. Like, how do you stay on top of innovating during periods like that? Because I'm sure you came in with a ton of ideas of like, I'm going to do this, this, my first 90 days might look like this. And, you know, maybe some ideas that you thought were like moonshots. And then all of a sudden, you're kind of like, maybe having to scramble a bit, like, how do you get back to that innovator mindset, if at all right now? When I first joined, we had a great roadmap that I was so excited about the roadmap was like, we need to innovate on our platforms, we need to focus on, you know, bringing actually a lot of our platforms up to par. So Android and web were my first focuses because those were kind of our aging platforms and platforms we wanted to bring in house. So, you know, we were really focused on those two and that was going to be our big story for 2020. When COVID hit, every single innovation that we wanted to make, it was faster for us to deliver it through our iOS app. So we made a ton of new improvements and additions in iOS, leaving a lot of Android users kind of annoyed at us because, you know, a lot of the new features we were added adding weren't available for Android. Mm-hmm. So I think that innovator mindset, you know, I think the rest of this year, we're going to be finishing out almost that first year roadmap. It's kind of crazy to think about it, but finishing out that first year roadmap and bringing all of our feature parity across our platforms, like we have to get to that. And I think that's that first stage. But the cool thing about the last year is we've been forced to move so quickly. We actually moved our company towards that agile development cycle. So now I think we have a much more prone agile uh, methodology for how we launch new technology. And that's really exciting for any kind of digital development or product person because in my mind, that leads us down the path of, hey, we can pilot stuff. We can be more agile. We can be faster. We can do one platform at a time. So I think that gives us a lot of room in the future to you know, perhaps add whatever it might be on a small scale before we take it to all three platforms and go big. Mm-hmm. So I think actually, you know, this last year kind of forced us into a much faster cycle and development cycle, which is great because I think for any, you know, technology, that's basically where you got to get to. Yeah. I mean, it sometimes still feels crazy to me that we have to build for different platforms. Like I totally get it. I mean, I've built apps back in the day, but I remember like getting the iOS app done and then being like, oh, I have to like essentially kind of like rebuild it. So it fits with Android devices and all the other ones out there and different sizes. And I don't know why this feels wild to me that we still do do this, but it feels kind of archaic. Like when will there be a place where it's like you build once and it scales? Yeah, we think about this a lot, too, because we're like, this is actually the front door for so many guests. Mm -hmm. And that's been a new mindset for us, too, because, you know, I think there was a time where people felt that, well, you're going to discover Shake Shack through the neighborhood. You're kind of going to walk around and kind of walk through that door. 
but the digital front door is so much bigger. Yeah. And so you've got all these platforms and interestingly, they're like three separate doors yeah. and there are reasons for each of them, which is super frustrating from a developer's perspective because it mm-hmm. is like doing it three times. But yes, in the moments that we feel like we have to motivate our team, we definitely go back to this digital front door being so much wider. And, you know, if we're able to kind of cast the widest possible net that we're going to really capture the guest, you know, no matter how they choose to interact with us. Yeah. Yeah. And even thinking about like adding on then like an international layer to devices. I mean, there's that was something I know we struggle with back at Google of like people were not even able to update their device because of like data issues. And I feel like that's things like that are taken for granted in the U.S. Like, of course, I'm going to all my apps just update in the background. And, you know, I never even have to think about it really anymore. But I mean, in other areas, that's like a huge thing of like, oh, well, how much data will this, you know, take in storage? And like, and that's a whole other big thing, especially with all these new users coming online. Is this something that you guys are thinking about? Well, it's, it's kind of a fascinating thing because we licensed Shacks very early at Shake Shack. So we have a big international presence and we work with a lot of licensed partners who mm-hmm. help us develop our digital platforms for the through those partners. I think one day the holy grail for me will be that you can use the Shack app everywhere. Yeah. For now, we're not there. Um, we rely on our partners to kind of build these digital tools on their own platforms and kind of whatever is relevant for their market, et cetera. Mm-hmm. We work really closely with our licensing team though. And I think that's been a really fun part of this past year as well is being able to share with our licensed partners, hey, th- this is our digital roadmap and what we're building on our side and on our own own properties and platforms. And in some ways, they've tried to mimic that, which is great. You know, you start to see them adding delivery. You start to see them thinking about different pickup options in their restaurants, et cetera. So I think that's been a real inspiration. But I think that, you know, ultimately, if I could look 10 years out, I certainly want to be the app that works omni-channel and omni-partner, which would be a huge challenge to get to, but would be awesome one day. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any trends that you're seeing right now? It can be here or abroad that are actually kind of surprising to you where you're like, oh, that's picking up or people want it that way or anything there that's surprising. So I feel like this whole past year or two is like full of surprises. So, you know, ghost kitchens continue to surprise me. Not because I don't see the value. We're actually looking into them. And some of our licensed partners use ghost kitchens to to service different areas. So a ghost kitchen is basically, it could be a food truck. It could be a kitchen or a commercial kitchen. It is not a branded restaurant. There's no seating. But in London, ghost kitchens, for example, are serving Shake Shack to a delivery audience, for example. So our food is cooked up to our standard and with our ingredients, et cetera, in an unbranded storefront. And delivery partners pick it up and it's delivered to the guest. And the guest kind of never really Mm. knows that it didn't come from a Shake Shack restaurant. So that's kind of the ghost kitchen concept. And we're certainly looking at it domestically where we might have tons of demand and and not able to fulfill it through our restaurants. But the reason I think this concept just like totally baffles me is there are brands now trying to use ghost kitchens as a way to get to 250 restaurants overnight. And I think it's such an interesting thing because the question of scale versus brand is one that I think that not everyone's getting right. So some of these folks don't really have a brand. They might have, um, you know, an influencer following or they might have an idea or they might be a really small restaurant concept and they're able to get to massive scale, like 250 wow. restaurants nationwide by using ghost kitchens. And I think it's really interesting. I I still can't figure out this trend. So that was why it was my answer to your question. Because I'm I'm looking at it and saying, how far can this concept push? 
Um, it's great from like a real estate, not having to build out space, yeah. not having to train anybody. But how far will the consumer go in buying into that without the experience, without mm-hmm. the physical place that you can go to? It's almost like when Amazon told us we don't ever have to go in a store. We're just yeah. going to like deliver things to you. And, you know, brick and mortar retailers were like poo-pooing it a little bit because they're like, well, no, everybody will want to come to a store. And I think there's a happy medium there. Um, so food will go through that too. And I think it'll be an interesting evolution of like how many concepts can get to scale through ghost kitchens and how many of those will survive. Yeah. I mean, I also wonder like how many people are going to get ghosted with that whole idea. I mean, I think about all these new companies right now, especially in the e-commerce world, popping up really quick, you know, over-promising, unable to deliver, and then they're gone. And I mean, that's just because it's obviously a lot of, a lot of people are going online right now. It's very easy to do. It's very easy to sell. It's you know easy to maybe drop ship and white label things. But I kind of think that of like, when will there be a point of distrust because someone gets burned of like, wait, this isn't what I thought it was. And this isn't the quality. And I think there will be a flight to quality. Like I think ultimately, you know, a lot of those concepts are fun. They can pop up. You might try it once, but you know, kind of as we were talking about at the beginning, like how do you get people to come back? Like People come back for the experience. People come back for food that's really high quality and they yeah. can really feel the value of that. And, you know, I think it's it's such an interesting thing for me to watch because I think complemented with the right brand and actually done correctly, that could be an incredible way to scale. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is very much like what happened in e-commerce and what is happening in e-commerce where it's like, you know, you start to wonder like, where is the, where is the quality control on this? And also mm-hmm. how often is the guest going to truly buy into that? So, yeah, I wonder if there's like, an opportunity for restaurants to kind of merge, like turn into like fusion restaurants where it's like, now we are a Dunkin' Donuts and Shake Shack. And like, if you order from this ghost truck, you can kind of have ingredients from both because I do find myself, especially on like, you know, Grubhub where I'm like, oh, I kind of want a little Indian food, but then I also want Thai food and this. And like that maybe like partnership mentality maybe could work because then you're actually giving something more versus the alternative is like, well, I could just order directly from, you know, Totally. And I think one of the ways we've had a lot of fun experimenting with this is we we did just recently do this now serving collab series. So we bring in a chef, you know, in Atlanta, we brought in Pinky Cole from Slutty Vegan. Here in New York, we we worked with JP from Attaboy. It was super fun to kind of bring in really unusual ingredients and yeah. put them in a Shake Shack concept. And we we love this for testing and kind mm-hmm. of getting a sense for, hey, is it our guest who's really loving this kind of new ingredient or this type of food? Or is it that we're bringing a new guest and someone who's coming as a huge fan of that chef? Mm -hmm. Um, So what was interesting about all that is in Atlanta, we certainly drew massive fans of Pinky Cole and kind of her vegan concept. And, you know, that certainly has gotten us thinking. Um, Here in New York, when we partnered with JP and with Attaboy, we saw a lot of, you know, Asian guests coming out and I think it had to do with our philanthropic partnership as well. But Mm -hmm. it's just a lot of really interesting stuff for us to think about. Like, you know, is there a way to continue to expand our menu properly to serve that guest? Yeah, yeah. That's that's always a challenging thing to think about of like not going too far where you get distracted and like staying true to the roots, but also not being so stuck that, you know, you can't innovate and try new things and fail fast potentially, but at least get in front of new markets. Totally. And I think we also love it from a community gathering aspect. Like I think there's always some excitement when you come to a chef collab. And I think it's, we've always, you know, wanted to go back to our culinary roots and really share that with our guests too. So, you know, our kind of background being founded out of the Union Square Hospitality Group, that that culinary thing will always be part of what we do. So 
And it's been a great kind of fun and innovative test and learn environment for our culinary team and also for our marketing team to kind of say, hey, how can you reach new audiences? Yeah, that's super cool. So where do you guys want to be? Where do you want to be in the next three to five years with Shake Shack? Like where, what's your North Star? Where are you all headed to? Yeah, I mean, I think we want to maintain this amazing digital relationship with our guests. You know, if I look five years out, I think Shake Shack is growing quickly from Mm -hmm. a footprint perspective, from our digital platforms. So, you know, in the next five years, I expect to see our brand in twice as many places. And I expect in our digital platforms to be able to kind of capture that full experience. And what I mean by that is I think I'm looking at a few things like content infused experience and that frictionless experience and ultimately that really personal experience coming through our digital platforms. There's a lot of, you know, I could easily look out and see a lot of QSR apps that do an amazing job at just that transactional like Mm -hmm. drive to conversion and complete. But I also know there's a different set of apps that I use that literally just bring me joy. Um, And I would love Shake Shack to sit in that ladder camp. I would love to, you know, create uplifting digital experiences. People use our app because it makes them feel something and Mm -hmm. also feel kind of satisfied and uplifted the way our food experience is. So I think that's a tall order. You know, I think it would be different if I were just trying to gear our team to mimic the best in class of what's out there. But that's boring. And that's not what we want to do. So we're super focused on Shake Shack having really differentiated digital platforms and kind of delivering digital and infusing it into our omni-channel experience. So you will see more screens in our shacks as we find the right way to provide status and, you know, provide order notifications and, you know, in some cases, menu boards in a digital way. You know, we want to continue to kind of evolve our brand towards that direction so that we can be more dynamic and be more personal and be more relevant. Yep. Yeah. I love that. And then all of that just leads to a better one-to-one relationship, which I think a lot of brands are going to be struggling with trying to figure out how to build that up and how to, you know, create authentic content that keeps their consumer there in a way that they want to stay there so they can keep the conversation going and not lose that connection. Yeah, I think that the one-to-one marketing, I mean, that's the grail, right? But even just more personalized content, like I think we're, we're starting to segment our guests more, more consistently. Our CRM capabilities have really improved over the last year and will continue to do so now that we have these 1.8 million guests that we have to really better understand. So we're looking at different capabilities too from an automation perspective. And, you know, when we think about how to keep people engaged, like we really want to make sure we're delivering content that's relevant, you know, through all of our channels. And it's funny because you know, when you hit it, you know, we, we did like a, just a fun push message, you know, those really awkward days when we were waiting for election results kind of right after the right after the 2020 um, presidential election. Mm-hmm. And I think there was one day that we just decided, you know, very Shake Shack and very brand playful. We were we were kind of saying, you know what people really need right now is comfort. And nothing says comfort like a cheese fry. Um, and we had some some push notification that we designed out for that evening you know, I think we we have that luxury with our brand tonality and voice that we are allowed to be comforting and playful. And when you hit it, you hit it. So we've we've really had a couple of those cases. And now we're thinking through how do you systematize that? How do you make that? Yeah. You know, more of the everyday. Yeah, completely agree. I love that. All right. Well, let's shift over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I ask a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready, Steph? I'm ready. All right. When you want to get into a creative mode, what do you do? <laughs> that's such a hard question. I know. That's why it's the lightning round. 
Okay, well, this is embarrassing. Um, when I need to get into a creative mood, I take a shower. Uh-huh. Um, there's That's nothing great. better than a really great shower. And also, most working parents know that the shower is kind of the only, the last sacred place yes. um, yeah. that, that you can avoid your children. I love that. And I a thousand percent agree with that. If you were to have a podcast, what would it be about? And who would your first guest be? I would love to do a podcast about fearless women and kind of their take on society and the world. I'm so lucky that I've, you know, been able to befriend a lot of women in this space, um, hospitality and, and through kind of all the roles that I've had. My first guest would be Debbie Sue, who is the CEO of Open Table. Nice. Um, she's had an incredible career and happens to be a very good friend of mine. Oh, she sounds awesome. I would for sure listen to that. That sounds great. What's one thing that you don't understand today that you wish you did? I wish I understood a bit more about this intersection between consumer psychology and AI. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there's a lot of AI being used to develop you know, plans around data, et cetera. I would love to get to that AI that's truly intelligent, that understands consumer psychology. You know, I have an Alexa in my house and I think that she's supposed to understand certain things. <laughs> I don't think she really gets me yet. Um, so ultimately, that's a space that I'm super interested in, that almost like human to machine connection. And, and will we get there to where they can be really anticipatory and understand us? Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel that all the time. I'm like, why? How could you not understand that? I perfectly said exactly what's in my head and not working for me here. <laughs> that, that's a good one. What's on your ideal hamburger? Oh, well, that's easy. My ideal hamburger is a shack burger. So shack sauce, lettuce, tomato. I add sliced onions, sometimes a pickle, depends. Um, but that's it on a, on a potato roll. That sounds good. And now I'm hungry. All right. <laughs> and the last one, what one thing will have the biggest impact on e-commerce in the next year? I think aside from Amazon... I think the biggest thing that will happen in e-commerce is our ability to deliver those orders. So one thing we've been seeing for a while is, you know, that last mile is becoming harder and harder to be profitable. You know, there are only a few companies that can still make money and do that last mile. So I love everything I'm seeing on consolidating that last mile. You know, there are companies out there that are trying to really cut down on waste for that last mile and, you know, not package everything the way all individually and separately. So I think e-commerce in the next year and in the future is going to have to really figure out how to do the last mile in a way that is environmentally conscious, consumer friendly, and impactful. And I think that that'll be a big shift that's going to happen. Yes. Yeah. That's a big one. Awesome. Well, Steph, thanks so much for joining the show. Where can people find out more about you and go to a Shake Shack or download the app? How should they find it? Yes, shakeshack.com, at shakeshack on Instagram, and um, follow us. You never know what might happen. You might get a free burger. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks so much. It's been great. Thank you. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, you'll probably also love our e-commerce newsletter. To get it delivered straight to your inbox every week, sign up at mission.org slash upnextincommerce. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.